Hello? Hello? They're not going to hear you. Why not? If I can hear them, surely they can hear me. Well, funnily enough, I'm not an expert on fudge acoustics. How can you crack jokes? <laughs> Good old blitz spirit. <sighs> God, I feel so exhausted. I think I might have a little snooze now. Right. <clears throat> Welcome to episode 142 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street Catcher podcast. I wouldn't have worked out the etymology of Craig's nickname in a million years, supposing Craig was there to give hints himself and we'd have seen any evidence whatsoever of him ever being brave. I'm Gavin. (laughs) (laughs) And I think you're adorable. Oh, thank you. I'm not sure why. No one's suspicious. (laughs) You should be. Yeah. How are you this week? I th- I think I have I've I've hit the I've hit the wall. You know, I think I think we all we have all over the past year and some change gotten to a point where we've just kind of hit a wall with everything. A year? It's not it's not quite a year yet, I don't think. Ish. Good. Well, see I'd start counting it when we got sent home. Mm. Which was in March. March thirteenth. Right. But if you add up like the January and February, it it doesn't matter. Math is fine. Um, it's it's really not the point. <laughs> the point is is that it's just, I guess, because of stuff happening in my own life, you know, as far as figuring out all this dad stuff and just the snow. <laughs> There's a lot of it. And the cold. And the fact that February is just awful anyway, yeah. because we get very little sunlight in the wintertime. The sun is shining today. That yeah, I guess it's that's as a button outside. And just, you know, the news and this whole polar vortex thing and most of Texas being without power and having icicles hanging from their ceilings and inside and oh. people dying on the streets because... Because of the cold and everything, and Ted Cruz going to Mexico. What else, just, what else is Ted Cruz going to do other than go to Mexico? You're not. Is it going to help? <laughs> uh, sweet summer child. <laughs> Meanwhile, Beto O'Rourke is making these uh, phone calls to seniors to make sure they're still alive and, and check to see if they need anything. And AOC has raised uh, $2 million dollars for Texas. I feel like we're drifting into that <laughs> podcast again. <laughs> what's, what's I, don't, I don't know. I just... Fine is the answer to the question. Fine is never the answer to the question. <laughs> you know, I just... I'm glad we have this podcast to keep me going. <laughs> it's all I have left to live for. God help you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember when we... Uh, See, there's very much a, a line in the sand for me as shit started to happen March 13th. And mm-hmm. I'm aware that, that things happened before it that led up to that, obviously. And that was when it started. And that was episode something 
under 100. Mm-hmm. And we're now at episode 142. Right. <laughs> and that to me is the kind of boot in the balls. Mm-hmm. Like, Holy shit, really? I think also I've gotten to the point where um, in my trying to watch all the Golden Globe nominees where... I don't know why you're doing that. <laughs> Still don't know why you're where, doing that. Where, you know, the only thing left to me that is that is free um, before I have to start paying for things, although I have paid for one movie already, um, is, is Ozark, which is just one of the darkest, most depressing, not even having a, sh- a shred of comedy relief, unlike say Breaking Bad or The Sopranos it's just it's so dark and it's like why am I watching such a dark dark thing why are you watching that again that's what gets me this this was dark as fuck the first time we watched it I didn't watch it with you the first time I watched I I've, I've watched I'm, I'm with you on the whole comedy thing because you see Jason Bateman you think oh well this is going to be quite cheery right or, and then you're or at or episode 3 and you're ready for crying and like, why there, is Jason Bateman not telling jokes about his dick here <laughs> Or you think there'd be at least, like I said, you know, I mean, they managed in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and The Sopranos and other like dark prestige television to to have bits of comedy relief in it every once in a while. And I mean, I guess Laura Linney throwing that dead possum onto the roof of those hick people's trailer i guess was kind of funny but not really because she thought that they were threatening her family and it turns out that it was spoiler alert her son that was dragging dead animals out of the forest <laughs> it's just remind me never to ask you how you are again <laughs> i do have to say though that the movies that i watched this week were good nomadland was very good i watched that last night and then um oh god I can't remember the name of the movie. It's the A24's um, foreign language nomination starring Stephen Yeo. And it's kind of controversial because it's set in America and people speak English in it for uh, like half of it. And then like half of it's in Korean. And that was very good. Um, I'm really hoping that when it gets the Oscars that it gets like a regular nom. But that's, you know... I haven't I haven't started watching things. I, I I've been holding off on uh <laughs> Cab is now checking his invisible watch. I've been holding off on watching um Promising Young Woman because even though I've heard good things about it, it's just gonna depress me. So hopefully you and I can watch that maybe sometime this week and be depressed together. How are you? I'm fine. Shall we preamble my dear? <laughs> no, come on, how are you? How are you really? Give me some of that depressing <laughs> Corey news. <laughs> oh, nope, this is the wrong one. It's this one this week. We have one notepad for every Corey news on this table at the moment. Yeah, you're right. All four of these notepads have Corey news yep. on them. <laughs> It used to be that I had a separate notepad for each podcast and then a notepad for work, and, and that's fallen by the wayside. Anyway, Corey actors are beginning to get their jabs of the COVID vaccine, and speaking out... Together what? Their jabs. Their jabs. Their jabs. With a B? J-A-B-S. Jabs? Jabs. Jags. Jabs. Jags. Jabs. 
Jags. Oh, Jags. Because it's jaggy. Peop- it's jaggy. It's oh, a jag. It's not jaggy. It's, it's just a, jaggy. a jab it in it's and out. It's only Scottish people say jags. Anyway. I'm fine. That's... <laughs> Beyond the point, they're getting them and speaking out in gratitude to the NHS. Sally Diviner got her first dose on Tuesday and tweeted, thank you so much to our NHS. Had my vaccine and I'm so grateful. Thank you for everything you do. So that's that's nice. I'm assuming I know uh, Maureen Lippman has had hers as well and, and a number of others have had theirs as well. And um, the actor who plays Dev has, has been quite vocal in trying to get members of the Asian community out to get their vaccines because there's lots of you know rumors and stuff that it makes you grow a third eye or that what <laughs> well probably not that it makes you grow but I, I'm just being hyperbolic there but that oh. you know it will help um, uh, people it will help the government control you and all that stuff so and that's a conspiracy theory that's more prevalent in the Asian community? No, but he's speaking out as a member of the Asian community in the UK, okay. you know, because um, unfortunately it seems like the coronavirus has hit the um, the Asian community and the black community of both the UK and the US harder than it has hit us privileged white folks. Because mm-hmm. so. these things happen, you don't realize that there's kind of cultural differences and and what, right. what you think is is one thing can be completely construed as something completely different right, absolutely it. was that john oliver thing about the was it the the burmese facebook you know when you're typing congratulations and all the, the balloons come up uh-huh. but the word for congratulations is also the word for death or something like that <laughs> and it was ended up being completely inappropriate but that kind of shows you the right you think you're doing something nice mm-hmm. or you think it's something positive but Mm-hmm. You know, depending on who you are and what right. your lens is, it can be something Absolutely. completely different. Absolutely, yeah. There's also been a lot of violence towards the Asian community because people still blame, you know, people of Asian descent of spreading the coronavirus because yeah. apparently everybody who... I feel that tractor beam is trying to pull us towards the other podcast. Again. Everybody, who's, everybody who's Asian apparently grew up in Wuhan. Right. Anyway. Which, which they, they didn't. They didn't, No. Be nice to your Asian neighbors. Anyway, no joy on Mother's Day for Leanne and Toya. Vicky Entwistle, who plays Battersby mum Janice, has come out to say that her 11-year stint on Corey was exhausting and she's in no rush to return to the role. As someone who's currently watching classic Corey where the Battersby's recently arrived, mm-hmm. and this week, uh, Leanne and Nick get it on, much to the disapproval of Gail. <laughs> much to the approval, though, of Janice. of Janice, who thinks that Nick's a lovely boy. But Janice spent, what did you say, 11 years uh-huh. shouting. So I can yeah, right. I can imagine it was an exhausting experience. And and she said it's, it's it was very difficult because when people, when she would bump into fans on the, on the street, they would just assume that she was like Janice, when right. in fact she's a rather quiet, reserved woman in real life. Really? Yeah, <laughs> at the moment... And I remember them arriving in uh, 97, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Everyone hated them because they were kind of scummy. Right. And then they become, you know... Beloved. S- beloved characters after a, a decade or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Janice is going through a, a shouting phase at the moment. Les! Les! Etc. Yeah. Apparently she leaves the show to travel the world with her most recent lover, 
So that's what she's been doing all the all these years, traveling the world, which <laughs> sounds a lot better than hanging out in the cobbles so and being held hostage somewhere in Nicaragua. Then pulling pulling white feathers out of your daughter's hands over and over again, <laughs> flushing them down the toilet. Moving on. Yeah, moving on. On the other side of the coin, Alex Bain, who plays Leanne's son Simon, has said in an interview that being on the cobble since the age of six has saved his life, saying that his role huh. has given his life purpose and support through bouts of mental illness. Oh, wow. So, yeah. He said it had, you know, when he was in school, you know, there was some bullying and stuff. Because that happens. People think that kids will like kid actors in no. their school. No, of course no, not. No, they don't. They don't. They 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 automatically assume that child actors are uppity and, you know... Think that they're famous and therefore beat the shit out of them. Right, absolutely. Which Jack P. Shepard talks about a little bit in Sofa Cinema Club this week. Yes. So, yeah, can you imagine being on a television show since the age of six? Like, just basically, that's your life? Oof. No wonder he's so moody. <laughs> no, that's a character. <laughs> yeah, so he's been on the show for 13 years. So longer than Janice. Yeah. And, and younger. So, but I guess if that's all you know, mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit easier than, um, because Janice was uh, Vicky, what, was Vicky's first really big role. So. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't remember her being in anything else before. She probably was, but not, nothing that stands out. Yeah. So. And that's Corey News. That is Corey News. That is Corey News. Our mailbag. We got conf- confirmation from Christy that she wasn't last week's enthusiastic Canadian millennial. So she wasn't? So there's another one. Aw. Um, we got she, another moose gif as well. Thank yay. you very much for that, She uh, She agreed to be uh, my uh, Canadian support person. <laughs> <laughs> well, what am I going to do? She's your Canadian support person as well. Okay. <laughs> you made it sound like an exclusive thing that you had going on. <laughs> well, laddie da, don't let me tell you. You're roped into that. this. And then we've got another <laughs> this is the thing that happens when you get a one-star review that people, nice people. Right. I'm not saying that people who give one-star reviews aren't nice people. You aren't nice people. <laughs> but um, it, it kind of gets the five-star reviews. Right. Gives them a little kick. Right. I've got another one from Cheeky. He said, as someone who has a mild obsession with Coronation Street and happens to be a US viewer, you guys are perfection to me. I love the fact that you take your time in terms of giving your opinions about each of the week's storylines. And even though both of you can have a differing opinion on any character or storyline, you still manage to support each other, which is a cornerstone of any great podcast. Keep up the fantastic work. Oh, Isn't that lovely? That is lovely. We support one another in real life, too. Right. Even outside the podcast. <laughs> Hi, St. Connor. The Voltaire misquote that I couldn't remember last week was I disapprove of what you say, sir, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Uh Uh-huh. You didn't say that. It was actually his biographer, Evelyn Beatrice Hall, who wrote it as an example of something that encompassed his beliefs. Ah. So she wrote it down as this is something that he probably would say, but didn't. It's funny because in the news this week there has been uh, controversy over whether or not it was Mark Twain or Clarence Darrow who said something about um, about obituaries and how they've um, they've never killed anyone, but they've read obituaries with with great with great joy or something. And um, witty. Yes. Well, they said they both said it in a more witty way. They both said it. People seem to think that 
Mark Twain didn't say it, but Mark Twain did say something quite similar to that in um, one of his books of essays. One of the ones that it's very difficult to find and is not on the internet anywhere, but I remember reading it. I think it was like in the same essay where he talks about the fact that people kept writing obituaries for him, assuming he was dead. And, and he coined the famous term, you know, news of my death are, are greatly exaggerated. So yeah, because there was, you know, there was an obituary this week, I guess that a lot of people read with great joy, I guess somebody died. Yeah. <laughs> and now for a quick talk game of misquotes. Who didn't say this? Be the change you wish to see in the world. I think our pastor says that all the time. No, no, it was our old pastor. The one with the Swedish accent. He was Austrian. Was he Austrian? Mm-hmm. I thought he was Swedish. No, he was Austrian. He was the one who, like, at the anyway, end of every sermon would say, be the change. Go be the church. No, be the church. <laughs> be the- Not the change. It's famously um, attributed to Gandhi. He didn't say that. Who said it? Nobody. <laughs> well, somebody so must have said it. <laughs> the ends justify the means. Who famously didn't say that? I don't know. I've never heard anybody being, you know, attributed to that. That's just a a, a, um, a proverb. No, it's a Machiavellian, famously attributed to Machiavelli. Well, But the I closest mean, he th- came to saying that was uh, something that didn't quite have the same ring to it. One must consider the final result. That's something that he did say, but that was kind of... Let's say spruced up a little bit to the I ends mean, justify the means. All of the prints is basically, you could basically summarize the whole book, The Prince, as the ends justify the means. Give me liberty or give me death. Oh, that was uh, Patrick Henry. That wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't him. Who was it? I don't know. And now this. Oh, for sure it was Patrick Henry. No. Probably Alexander Hamilton. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Or Gary Coleman. <laughs> One of those founding fathers. Yes. <laughs> what are you talking about? Washington. There you go, that'll do. Just enough time to quickly talk about Redhead. This was Chesney's talk to the distinguished guests at the Fresh Co's launch party. Uh, Remember that? Oh, God. I wish I could forget. I was Gavin, and you were. A cookie monster. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. James comes out to no Ed. No cookies this year. Well, there is cookies this year. I'm going to buy yeah. some, but no cookie booths this year. It's, it's Sally doesn't seem to really care. She seems to have hit a wall herself. James comes out to Ed, who seems to take it well, seems to take it well, seems to take it well, and then takes it very badly. <laughs> Despite Maria continually telling Ali that she doesn't want him, uh, that she wants to leave and she regrets getting her hold of him, Ali continues to pursue Maria, which leads us to decide that we're no longer Team Ali, and as soon as his character has moved on, the better. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Chesney and Gemma are having problems juggling their appointments with the quads, which generates friction with Tara, a PR expert who seemingly has never spent a minute working in the PR sphere. Or with children. Fizz and Tyrone continue their track of being the worst parents ever. Abby and Kev finally get it together, but it's nowhere near as satisfying as we anticipated it to be. Oliver wakes up enough to kind of blow out some of his three candles. Hmm. Mm. Steve and Tim are the Hulks Our moment of the week was Jem and Chesney realising that Alad had never heard them say that they love him And a boring moment of the week was Gail trying to wedding plan And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year And two years ago we were introduced to Lolly That was two years ago Lolly was two years ago? Yep 
Shall we dive in, my dear? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> our first storyline today. It's our last storyline nope. today. Oh, no. Okay, I, I, I go did you deliberately into that. <laughs> did you do that to me last week as well? Two weeks ago. Is this going to be a thing now? Kind of. <laughs> it's Arctic Roll. On Monday at home, Seb catches Abby doing what most people do with a Dyson vacuum cleaner. Beat the shit out of it. Try to figure out why it isn't working. <laughs> Seb turns on the power at the wall. He's curious why she's tidying up ahead of Kev and Jack getting home from camping and correctly assumes that they've had a bit of a disagreement. Meanwhile, Kev and Debbie are stuck in the fridge talking about that time Robert and Michelle were shagging in the fridge and got locked in. Yeah, very convenient that, that Kev just happened to overhear something that Robert said about that. And, and then remembered it. Right. Very to, convenient. To use it then more than a year later. Right, which doesn't seem to help though. Well, he's looking for a pencil to stick in the fridge fan. Because they remember that happening. Uh-huh. And Debbie produces an eyebrow pencil that does a trick and the fan stops. But neither of them are sure if this is going to make the faintest bit of a difference. And later, Debbie is trying to raise her spirits by explaining that people strip off when they've had hyperthermia. Because they think that their blood's kind of boiling in there. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. What will people think if they find the two of them there in the nuddy? And I wish that she hadn't said that. <laughs> <laughs> because what you do is you think about it. Oh, brother and sister found dead in the fridge in the scud. Right, and, and probably like again. holding on to one another right, as well. Right, right, enough. But I mean, that happens all the time, like up in the, up on, you know, when people are found up on top of that mountain that everybody dies on. <laughs> mountain, Everest. Death mountain. <laughs> Everest. <laughs> that mountain where everybody dies on. Mount Everest. I'll take mountains for 500, please, Alex. We should be laughing because it's really sad that people die, but... Oh, they know the risk. <laughs> At Sally's, she and Abby are chatting about herbs, with Sally determined to pronounce it either the American way or the North Yorkshire way. Herbs. herbs. Yeah, and you know what was funny? I had the um, the closed captioning on mm-hmm. for that. Because um, we do that with everything now for some reason. I don't know when that started to harm. Well, you do it with Netflix and it's infuriating. But I had it on I had it on for Corey because um because there's been a couple of times that I've watched it in bed and I have the volume turned down so it doesn't wake you up. And so I have the closed captioning on so I can still yeah. understand what's going on. And the closed captioning had like apostrophe E R B S every time oh. Sally said herbs. And I'm like <laughs> Why wouldn't you just spell it the right way? H-E-R-B-S. It's That's probably automatically generated. Herbs. Mm-hmm. Herbs. Because herbs. there's a fucking H in it. Herb is a man. In comes Rosemary PC Tinker, herb. who was chuffed to fuck to announce to the household that they've apprehended Ray Weinstein and he's in their custody. Are you okay, Abby? Asks Sally. <laughs> Because we really needed a vertigo zoom on Abby at that moment. Because right, that's yes. the moment that she realises that everything that she thought was true it's a lie. is a lie. So now Abby has to explain to Sally how she thought Ray was dead and Debbie killed her and how neither Kev nor Debbie are answering their fucking phones. Sally has never been so confused. Right. And Sally's like, why did she go to the police about this? You didn't report a murder? Well, it wasn't really a murder because he's not dead. It's quite funny that when you think that on the street of a little bubble where all this activity and drama's happening but mm-hmm. outside that little bubble there are people just going about their normal lives right and sally's saying well why didn't you go to the police right because that's what normal people would do right they wouldn't add to the drama no <laughs> abby goes and bangs on the bistro door furiously 
Kev hears this in the fridge and starts banging back, employing the theory that if he can hear Abby, Abby can hear him. But Debbie isn't sure that fridge acoustics work like that. And they don't. She's getting tired and is still injured, but Kev tries to get her to move about and stay awake and he begs her to start telling him stories from the olden days to keep the stands happy. The chat about growing up, (laughs) special dinners and a movie on a Saturday night as Kev morphs into Bob Mortimer. (laughs) Debbie used to love a movie, but never gets the time these days. Kev was a big fan of Starsky and Hutch, Mm. weren't we all? Mm. Debbie remembers Kev always covering for her when they were growing up. Kev thinks that he still does that. He gives Debbie a nudge when it looks like she's fallen asleep again and then starts giving her a hard time saying that she turned out the way that she did because she had her dad and Kev wrapped around her finger and it only got worse when their mum died. Furious, Debbie remembers things differently. She was 11 when their mum died and she spent most of her teenage years as a skivvy for the two of them. This doesn't melt Kev, who doubles down, saying that the only time that he ever saw Debbie after he married Sally was when she wanted something. And she points out that the last thing that she dropped in, she gave Kev a small fortune, but he thinks that was only to soften him up for what was to come, and he storms off to another part of the fridge, leaving <laughs> Debbie in tears. <laughs> quite a quite a roller coaster of emotions there going on in the fridge. And it turned on a on a on ninepence, a, right. didn't it? I think I think what started it was the argument over whether or not they saw the Poseidon Adventure at home or in the theater, <laughs> which, is, which a, was a weird thing to argue about as well. I believe that's also the reason why World War One happened. <laughs> Back home, Abby could be on Vertigo Zoom number two when she gets a call from Chesney saying that Jack is with him because Kev never showed up to camp. What? And later, the cops show up, but they're not there about Kev. It's about the bribe that Abby witnessed. And she demands that they speak to Ray and find out what happened to her boyfriend. Back in the fridge, Debbie senses a frosty atmosphere. Wants them to put the argument on ice. (laughs) And says that those days were only the tip of of the the iceberg. iceberg. Kev's not a fan of (laughs) Debbie's pun run. And she points out that he was hardly a saint either. He cheated on his wife, got done for assault and fathered a love child with a woman half his age while his wife had breast cancer. He says that he followed his heart. Speaking of icebergs, have you seen the uh, the alternative ending to Titanic that has emerged on Twitter this morning or yesterday? Is the alternative ending where it safely reaches port? <laughs> no, with a lady who plays Old Rose instead of throwing the the necklace overboard all by herself, everybody rushes to try to stop her, and then she throws it over, and one of the um, one of the people, one of the oceanographers says to her, the, the big beardy one says, that really sucks, lady. Oh. <laughs> That's how Titanic ends in the alternative ending. That really Titanic. sucks, lady. Oh, you've never seen Titanic? No, I've, I never had three hours available <laughs> at the time it came out. I remember buying a ticket for it for me and my girlfriend at the time, uh-huh. but I accidentally got drunk that afternoon and we didn't go to the cinema. Uh, it's shocking that it, that's one of the ones that is kind of shocking that it didn't make it into our um, our lockdown. Oh, thank God! Film series that in Princess Bride. I'm still surprised we didn't watch Princess Bride. Anyway, Kev anyway. says that he followed his heart and says that she followed the money. That's all I've got. She says she loves money, but it never loves her back. And she starts to do something here, a little something that our uh, listener Chris kind of predicted that we would talk about. The strong businesswoman, Debbie, starts mm-hmm. to reflect that maybe she would have been better off being a housewife yeah. or 
spending Boo. their life cleaning undies and Boo. <laughs> at the cop shop Boo. Ray is still waiting for Miles to show up but he tells the cop that his best guess at what happened is that Kev has done a runner with Debbie with his money and the two of them will be on a beach with a rum and a coke soaking up the sun yeah but yeah. instead they're in a freezer talking about that time their mum died <laughs> Debbie is still insisting that she took care of all the housework instead of getting drunk with her mates. She says that she was a willing doormat, just like mum, but that was then. And when she realised that money didn't stop her from being alone, it was too late. Kev cuddles up to her, tells her that she's not alone, but she doesn't think anyone out there is going to be looking for her, unlike Kev, who's going to have tons of people looking after, looking for him. Well, Abby. When the copper goes back to relay Ray's, Ray's, when the copper goes back to relay Ray's theory to Abby, she takes it well. No, she doesn't. No, she doesn't. She ends up screaming at the cop that the only reason Kev hasn't been in touch is because he can't. And if the cops can't be the predictable hero of the story, she's just going to have to be flaming well the predictable hero of the story herself. Yeah. And she rightly points out that Kev would never leave Jack. He'd never leave his son and go to a beach with his sister. That's just not Kev. Right. He's not the end of trading places. (laughs) No. Back in the fridge, in an unedited five-minute scene, I think this was all in one shot, Debbie thinks Kev should never let Abby go. He thinks he doesn't deserve her, but as he admits how much he appreciates Debbie looking after him when he was a kid, he tells another tale from yesteryear about getting jumped by kids at school and walking home in his bare feet. That was when they learned that Mum was ill and might not survive the night, so Kev stayed awake, and so did Debbie, singing ABBA songs to keep each other awake, so Mum wouldn't die. He's sorry for being such a shit big brother. She wishes that she could make everything up to him, but she doesn't think she's getting out of there. She's so cold, so tired, so very, very tired. Kev won't let her die. He gets a metal rod and starts pounding fuck out the door, which arguably he should have been doing like hours ago. Mm. Then Abby, who's at the bistro trying to get into Debbie's computer, hears the thud, but doesn't realise it's coming from the fridge. (laughs) Debbie wants him to stop. The noise is getting on her tits and she drifts off. Kev tries to wake her. Abby finally wanders into the kitchen and finds an envelope. And satisfied that there's no noise, she takes the envelope and heads home. Right. She walks by that fridge multiple times. Which glaringly doesn't have a handle on it. Right. Yeah. And this happens again. And again. When she comes back. In the fridge, the generator comes on as Kev starts singing, Take a Chance on Me to Debbie. Chance, take a chance, take a take a chance, chance, take a chance, take a chance, take a take a chance, chance, take a chance, take a chance, take a chance, take a chance, chance, take a 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 chance, take they're both in pretty bad shape. Meanwhile, at home, Abby is scouring the documents that she found at the bistro for clues. This is a contract signing everything over to Debbie. Why would she leave it at the bistro unless she had to leg it in a hurry? <coughs> Seb has a cup of tea while Abby thinks aloud. It seems Mick is out of the picture because he told the police it weren't him. Hmm. Later, Jack's home with a full beard, a pierced <laughs> eyebrow and a Harley Davidson sleeveless shirt. He's worried... <laughs> Because that's what happens at sleepaway camp in the middle of winter. He's worried about his dad, but Abby puts his mind at rest by telling him he was probably blind drunk last night and has slept on a stranger's sofa. He'll wake up soon enough, she insists. His voice is changing though, our jacks. Just a little. (laughs) Then Abby goes over to see Sally and ropes Faye into trying to hack into Debbie's laptop, seeing as she used to work there. Faye reckons the password will have changed since she was last there, but agrees to give it a try because she's got nothing better to do today. Meanwhile, in the fridge, Kev and Debbie are talking about what they'll do when they get out. 
Debbie fancies a hot bath and a few days in bed. Kev fancies a pint at the Rovers. <laughs> Debbie dies of boredom. <laughs> they say, though, that that's, that's absolutely not what you should do. Take a hot bath afterwards. No, I would imagine you would burn very easily. Yeah. And just, You're supposed to warm up very slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which makes you think that the whole hospital thing is maybe expedited slightly for dramatic purposes. For one of them. In the office, about 20 feet away from the fridge, Faye has got into the laptop and goes snooping into the accounts, but she's a bit freaked out because the last time she was in here, Ray tried to rape her. Abby apologises. She's been so caught up in being the predictable hero of this story that she forgot all about that. Mm-hmm. But the accounts don't show up anything and Abby is concerned that maybe she's not going to be the predictable hero of this story after all. <laughs> but then Faye finds Debbie's phone in a bag that is usually nestled in the crook of Debbie's arm. And there's another thing. What? asks Abby, standing next to the fridge door with no handle. <laughs> there's no handle in that fridge door, says Faye, <laughs> using her restaurant experience to its fullest potential. <laughs> Seeing a way to rescue being the predictable hero of the story, Abby starts banging on the door, which wakes up Kev and he kicks a shelf full of seafood. Realising there are people in there, Abby sends Faye off for help. PC Tinker is on this scene now. Of course he is. Someone on the radio calls him clogs, which Faye picks up on, and he stands and watches while Abby takes a crowbar to bust the fridge door open. She breaks down when it looks like Kev and Debbie are dead, but then Kev wakes up and tells her to turn the heating on. Right, yes. She she single-handedly gets this door open, rushes in. Mm-hmm. There are people there there are police and emts there but no we have a number of minutes where abby is the only one in the fridge with these two people dying of hypothermia (laughs) and you know nope nobody else rushes in to to get these people it's just abby these people are dying. Stand wait, back. wait, 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 wait. I'll, I'll deliver this, baby. We, we, need a, we need a meaningful moment here for a good five minutes before we save these people of hypothermia. What <laughs> is going on there? Hit the Timbot button. Timbot 4000 says this does not compute. Thank you. That's it. I, uh, I understand social distancing causes problems with trying to you know show people picking lifting people up in a fridge and putting them on stretchers and stuff i get it but still that was so ridiculous it was a strange way to do it first of all it's strange that abby's the one that crowbars the the fridge open right when When there are people yeah and 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 craig says that people are on their way to open the fridge door Mm. Um, but he could have easily picked up that crowbar and the police could have been the ones that... But no. No. Abby being the Abby. hero. Abby is the hero of the show, but, once again. But yeah, I don't know why when she opens it and she sees what's happened, you're right, we had this... I don't know if it was five minutes, but it felt longer than five seconds, put it that way, of Abby collapsing to the ground and right. sobbing because she thinks that they're dead right. and then she realises that they aren't. I think they could have hand handled that differently i think they could have filmed that differently and shot it differently and maybe just cut them being put on the stretcher the, the stretchers and being taken out and right oh thank god you're alive kind of thing right i don't think it needed that where basically what she was doing was blocking people getting into the fridge to save these people's lives <laughs> right <laughs> everyone's getting loaded into the ambulance when kev announces that this were ray weinstein's doings he left them there to die 
PC Tinker leaps into action on his radio, telling Sarah Oscar, we've got a 409 at the Viaduct Bistro. One Ray Weinstein wanted in connection with an 1830 and a plain brown wrapper and a 56-yard stick. A bear in the air and a record at 104. <laughs> the Coops are working hard on your side gone east and we've got some Smokies on their tail. Timbot 4000 says, looks like we got ourselves a convoy. <laughs> Damn right, Timbot. Oh, dear God. I never thought we'd get to a point where we'd have Smokey and the Bandit references, but here we are. It's 2021, folks. <laughs> All bets are off. Burt Reynolds just finally got buried. <laughs> Faye looks on dead proud in that. Meanwhile, Miles has sprung Ray out at the police station and armed with a passport and a ticket, they head off to the airport. A hospital, Kev's going to be okay. The thought of seeing these kids and Abby kept on going. Abby blames herself for not going to the police in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But Kev's all about family now And mm-hmm. so has forgiven Debbie And reckons that Abby did the right thing So Abby seems to think that she's uh-huh. got something in her eye And has to rush off very quickly Yes PC Tinker descends on Ray in a dentist waiting room <laughs> No, in the business class lounge of an airport It's unclear which And arrests them for false imprisonment Wait, no, well, And attempted I, murder I, you know, the sleep aid things yeah, And he's well, like on this like dodgy massage chair he thing. thinks he's in first class already right yes he's like yes i'll have another one <laughs> bartender mm-hmm. <laughs> later face home sitting on the stairs of discovery discovering that ray won't get bail and craig thinks that his nickname of clogs is because of dutch courage which then went to bravery and not because he's like a clown in the minefield either way <laughs> face impressed enough to suggest that they give that relationship deal another go Ugh. Back at the hospital. Okay. <laughs> it's a little echo of James from a year ago. I'm not <laughs> Back at the hospital. Abby didn't get what she was <laughs> Back at the hospital, Abby didn't get what she was looking for, but hopefully what mm. she has got will do. <coughs> she footers about for a bit, then admits that she was looking for a ring but could only find hooped corn snacks. She doesn't know what she did to deserve Kev, so just marry me, eh? And Kev doesn't think twice. Did of she, course a flaming will, he says. Did she expect there to be like a jewellery store in the hospital? <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's any place close to that hospital that would be like a jewellery store or something that wouldn't be shut down. Because like all gift shops and hospitals are shut down. You can't, you can't get into a... What she was looking for was one of those little gift egg dispensing machines. Oh, all right. Yeah. I think they would have yeah. had a, like a... Instead, she got the equivalent of a Funyun, yes? Yes. Which is cute in its own way. Hula hoop. I love Funyuns. The good things about the hula hoops were when you were a kid, you would put one on each finger. Uh-huh, and, and then, then you'd, you'd eat them off. your fingers. Yeah. I used to do that with Funyuns. Funyuns are much bigger. Funyuns are bigger. You could probably get two or three, f- anyway. Two probably, or three fingers on a Funyun. I probably had a Funyun bracelet every once in a while as well. You fisted the Funyun? <laughs> I was a child. I had a child's hand and a child's wrist, which was much smaller than my wee hands now, because my hands are still quite wee. Well, that was fun. <laughs> On Friday, Kev's about to get checked out and Abby wants her hole in the hospital bed. Also, she wants to seize the day and go on a trip to celebrate surviving the brush with death. He has a surprise to pick up for her. And she death. has a surprise to organise too. Well. 
And she gets him an empty cup of coffee, but stops in to see Debbie on her way. After everything, Abby's not Debbie's biggest fan anymore and thinks Debbie only called the police on Ray and everything after the paperwork on his business was signed over. She threatens to rip up the contracts in front of her face, but she likes Ray less than she likes Debbie and tosses the paperwork at her before leaving. And before threatening to throw non-existent hot coffee on her. Right. At home, <laughs> Abby is showing off her ring to Jack. But not like that. Who asks if it's real. But not like that. He goes off to do his homework, but before Abby can get her hole, Seb comes in, chuffed to bits at the news. Remember last week how I bemoaned the lack of cold puns and jokes? Yeah, they really make up for it this week. Yeah. Later, Tyrone... It's like it's like they just got the script and just circled all of Arnie's puns. We need more freeze. puns. <laughs> freeze. <laughs> Later, Tyrone turns up and offers his congratulations. It's a classic, he says. Boy grows up. Boy gets really, really old. Boy thinks that he's going to die alone. Meets a girl. Gets locked in a fridge. Gets rescued by a girl. Girl proposes. Classic, says Tyrone. Classic. He asks what now for Debbie. And Kev is still convinced that people should forgive and put it all behind them. And Abby sucks a thoughtful tooth at that. She goes round to bask in happiness with Sally The happiness is only allowed to be basked in briefly Until Sally turns the subject to Ray And hoping that he'll be sent down forever Abby explains that Kev has forgiven Debbie And Sally can believe it But doesn't think there'll be many on the street who feel the same No Then we see Debbie And there was something suggested in the hospital With an empty cup of coffee That Abby says basically Once you're out of the hospital Pack your bags and beat it Mm -hmm. GTF so then we see Debbie, who's di- discharged herself from the hospital, meeting with Adam at the bistro. He's impressed with the paperwork, reckoning that this makes her a very powerful lady. She wants him on board as her lawyer, but he points out that the sinkholes in his wife's garden, and how they, but not like that, but how they toughed the family out of the home. Folk would kill him, he says, but no hard feelings. Mm. And she tells him to think about it, and then after he leaves, she looks around and is very pleased to see that the bistro has free Wi-Fi. <laughs> And that's as far as we get without this yeah, week. I, um, I can understand people being quite upset at Debbie for all of this and feeling betrayed by Debbie because she is she grew up on the street and everything. Yeah, people wouldn't really forget that. We wanted no. to knock down your house Yeah, like a month ago. Yeah. But it, it she's feels... tried to position this where this was all Ray's doing and she's tried to Un, uh, pick all those knots out and right. and make everything right again. And it also kind of feels like more people are um, are slanging off Debbie than cheering the fact that Ray is finally in jail. Yeah, more people are slagging Debbie than are slagging Ray. Right, and that doesn't that speak volumes. That yeah, that that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I hope I hope that's. That's rectified in some way. Are we adding that to the list of things that we hope are rectified at some point? Because that list is getting longer. Still holding my breath for Carol. <laughs> Faye's, <laughs> Faye was raped. Yeah. And, and it's never going to come out that way. No. Such bullshit. What did you think of the fridge stuff? <sighs> I... They make such a big deal about the pencil and everything. And then yet it seems to get even colder in that fridge. With the fan not moving? Yeah. I kept thinking that maybe I'd missed a scene where the pencil snaps and the fan comes back on because they seem fine for a very long time and then all of a sudden they're near death. You know, it just... Mm. 
And they should have been in the hospital longer. Yeah. And, you know, there should be... Somebody should have lost a nose or at least a pinky finger. I've seen, I've, I've seen enough of those Everest documentaries to know what happens to the body. Oh, see, Everest is just, just flowing off your tongue now. It is. Everest. The mountain that people die on. <laughs> Has a collection of noses halfway up. I, a- I just thought that it, I quite enjoyed it. And I did think a lot of that conversation was for the fans. Yeah, yeah. There was, it's very <clears throat> fan service And I'd back in my day... They went into the fridge on Friday and they didn't get out until the following Wednesday. Yeah. And that felt a bit too long. Yes. Yeah. It felt too long. And then, like I said, they get out of... They were in the, they were in the fridge longer than they were in the hospital. Right. Particularly Kev. Yeah. Kev seemed to have been sent home with a blanket <laughs> and told to curry up on the couch right yeah it seemed there was a moment where kev was curried up <laughs> on the couch and peter and another storyline is curried up on the couch and i had to check which storyline are we in now because he's everyone seems old to be. men of the street <laughs> and we're not talking roy and um peter's dad Ken. i think and it, right, it's taken this though to get that reset button all polished up and ready to be pressed. That Debbie is now going to be now that we know that she's not dying, we can right. say that she extended her contract and right. it's going to be a permanent character or at least for another year. Yes, <clears throat> and establish herself as being a bit of a ruthless businesswoman, I'm guessing, or just a businesswoman. I would I would expect her to be slightly less ruthless because she's trying to get back in the good graces of the people of the street. Yeah, different I think from she's the nigger people. I think she's going to be ruthless. I don't think she knows how not to be ruthless. I think she'll be, she'll still be ruthless, but I think she'll be less ruthless. She'll be more tactful in the future. She'll be ruthful then. Sure. Our next storyline today is uh, Tyrone's heart attack. <sighs> On Monday, Ty is a bit sheepish about letting that guy literally walk out the furniture thing with lots of furniture from last week. Tell Gary I'm sorry, tells Fizz. I don't understand why they have to tell Gary at all. <laughs> Gary's in, Gary's locked up. Just make the money back up. Somehow, right. Somehow, right. put it in there. Gary doesn't have to know anything. Why are we going to the prison to tell Gary anything? Well, why are we doing that? We're doing that to put stress on Tyrone, I think. <sighs> and, and to make Toblerone jokes. After a long shaggy dog story about Uncle Morris from Evelyn, wait for the stupid one. What? Yes, that's what, that's what, that's how Evelyn's story about Uncle Morris, who spells his name Maurice. Maurice, twit twit. <laughs> What a way to start the day, says Fizz. Evelyn's got a Toblerone for Gary to sweeten him up a bit. I used to hate Toblerone. It hurts your mouth when you eat it. You don't want your your chocolate to hurt your mouth. It's all jaggy and pointy. and It's a triangle. It is. But it's made out of chocolate, which melts in your mouth, not in your hands. Fizz goes to see <laughs> Gary in jail and stalls him talking about the chocolate bar that got confiscated on Fizz's way in. He suspects something's up and asks what's going on with the business. Back home, Evelyn is making corned beef hash with an egg on top when Fizz comes back. Gary was furious. She's not lost her job, but they have to pay the 600 quid back, so just what you said. Without, but now Gary knows. Evelyn doesn't think the building is worth 600 quid, never mind the manky furniture. And 
And Tyrone shits his pants. And um, thinking of some of the stuff that got put in the back of that van last week, some of those dressers and stuff were worth about 600 quid on their own. Hmm. Well, so they got off light. Fizz and Evelyn go on to discuss if whereabouts Evelyn's Toblerone bar when Tyrone quite looks like he's having a heart attack on the sofa. Fizz eventually notices, takes her a while. Or how movies and televisions depict people having heart attacks. <laughs> and shouts on Evelyn to call an ambulance. Because it doesn't te- tend to happen that way. At the hospital, Fizz and Evelyn are frantic with worry after waiting for two hours when Ty comes walking in, uh, into the waiting area. It wasn't a heart attack after all. He doesn't remember the name of it. It was a reflux thing. It's acid reflux. Heartburn, says Evelyn, who always carries a supply of Rennies. Ty is sheepish and Fizz makes slightly condescending cooing noises. So he has essentially what I have. He had heartburn. He had acid reflux, which is worse than heartburn, but it's still, still awful. I get that. I get that all the time where, you know, it feels like you're having a heart attack, but it's just, it tends to happen this time of year because it's caused by, well, for me, it's caused by post-nasal drip. (laughs) Lovely stuff. (laughs) And at home, it's more of the same. It's a healthier regime for Tyrone now. Doctor's orders, even though Fizz does appreciate a bit of meat on the bones of a fella. <laughs> oh, my Wednesday. What? Evelyn's got Tyrone in the brand flakes. He's not enjoying this, and nor does he enjoy it when Evelyn reckons that he's off into town to buy dignity pants. <laughs> he stomps off in the mood. Fizz telling her to go easy on him. He's had a health scare. He comes back into town with a yoga mat and an announcement that he signed up for lessons. Timbot4000 says shit just got interesting. And so does Evelyn, because she's reading her book and she's annoyed uh-huh. that Fizz keeps on interrupting her. Right. But when he comes in with the yoga stuff, she's like, okay, now I'm paying attention. <laughs> doesn't, um, doesn't Alina do yoga? Well, let's 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 wait till we get to the end. <laughs> Fizz thinks that they should be saving money because of the whole Gary thing, but Ty's health has to come first. And later, he turns up downstairs and full... Later, he turns up downstairs a full kit wanker. That's what we call people who wear the full... Uh, kit of a of a soccer team. Mm-hmm. You wear the top, as I'm currently doing. Uh-huh. That's fine. But if I was wearing the top, the shorts, and the socks, I would be a full kit wanker. Are you calling our children full kit wankers then? Because well, they kids, do that all the fine. time. Evelyn isn't impressed, but give yeah, it what Ben will do is he'll wear a <laughs> Liverpool top, Real Madrid shorts, <laughs> and odd socks, and then his own soccer socks. Then Tyrone gets a text from another storyline and is about to give yoga a miss until Evelyn points out that it doesn't take long to find an excuse, does it, Tyrone? Which then guilts Ty into going after all. And he gets back somewhat out of breath and saying that he's looking forward to going back. Fizz and Evelyn are quite, quietly impressed while a naking Tyrone slowly limps up the stairs to get a bath. Yes. All the baths this week. Well, I think that was the only one. No, I think somebody else took a bath this week too, didn't Who? they? Because I didn't take any note of it. I took a note mm. of Tyrone taking a bath. Never anyway. mind. But yeah, your thought was exactly my thought. I'm just surprised that Alina suddenly wasn't at the yoga. Right. Because we're doing this. We're doing this, aren't we? Ay, ay, ay. I feel the same way about this as I feel about another storyline that we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about in a little while of, of why do we have to have this apple cart unsettled in a very predictably unsettled manner. Mm-hmm. I'm all about them having some uh, crises and and drama mm-hmm. in the relationship, but does it have to be the predictable crises oh, and drama? Right. Although I guess uh, Jade was unpredictable 
crises and drama because remember we were all worried that jade was gonna woo tyrone and that didn't happen until the very end tried to yeah Yeah. at the very end when nothing else was working (laughs) when all else fails when all else fails (laughs) try to get into tyrone's pets yes that's (laughs) yeah it seems yoga seems an interesting choice for that character to sign up for as far as out of the blue as far as like an exercise thing right Uh, at nobody's suggestion right and nobody's suggestion you know you it's you know steve has gone on this whole running kick sort of thing and that makes sense Mm -hmm. tyrone just up and going to buy a yoga mat and signing up for yoga lessons because he had a health scare Right, which basically... So stretching, maybe. Well, yeah, the guy, they, apparently the doctor told him that he needs to... Well, he, the doctor told him that he needs to watch what he eats, and that's, with acid reflux, that's absolutely the right thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know necessarily if exercise is really going to help that particular malady, though, because it's not like you can bulk up your esophagus. <laughs> right. You know? You know? So I don't. I think uh, generally. And he, also, he's you looking... don't really get out of breath with yoga. If anything, quite the opposite, because one of the essential tenets of yoga is breath control mm-hmm. and deep breathing. So the fact that he comes back out of breath is weird. Yeah. Sore legs, that, that I can understand. But being out of breath. Mm. Especially, you know, I don't know. We're all adding this up to the same midlife crisis that Kev had when he did the dirty on Tyrone with Molly Dobbs. I'm just glad he didn't have a heart attack because I'm sick and tired of all the male characters of this show (laughs) coming to a period of their lives where they have a heart attack. I don't want Tyrone to die before I get a chance to send him this uh, MSU t-shirt. You still haven't done that. It was a... federal holiday on monday and then there was like a foot a snow fell on tuesday so i haven't had a chance to get to the post office i'm sorry i'm sorry tyrone you're just gonna have to wait you know what do you have an address for it yeah then just give me the address and i'll take care of it because i can print out labels here and then just chuck it in my box in the garage chuck it in my box (laughs) just fire it in there because post office give me my own box I'm one of the cool kids now. Yeah, you are so cool. <laughs> Is she really going out with him? The <clears throat> <clears throat> next storyline today. It's Johnny on the inside. Uh, on Monday, Johnny is still yeah. going on about that cat in his cell. Gary points out that the other inmates are seen as a sign of it. a sign of weakness on the part of Johnny. He has a meeting with a doctor today, but in the meantime, it's somewhat delirious as he tried to, tries to feed a cat who isn't there with food that also isn't there. And tries to pet the cat that isn't there. Johnny's psychiatrist. Seems to be like scratching it under his under its chin. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I have some experience of this delusion, given that I got the Oculus this week and the VR thing. You do, you suddenly become immersed in this this world that you forget where you are. Because I banged my knee and nearly fell flat on my face a couple of times. Which isn't a good look at my age. Here, as bad as the kids with their soccer ball in the living room. I haven't broken anything. Not yet. Yeah. Breakage pending. <laughs> Johnny's psychiatrist looks like a hallucination himself. 
But he explains to Johnny that seeing stuff with MS is quite common and it should go away once his medication kicks in. Right, says Johnny, who doesn't seem as pleased as I thought he'd be to learn that this is a physical thing and he's not losing his marbles after all. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the way that this doctor explains it is is very similar to what um, was explained to me about um, some of the things my dad was seeing when he was in the hospital. That, you know, your brain fills in the blanks. Right. You know, and it's it's purely physical, your brain filling in the blanks. And Jenny feels the same way as I did when she goes to visit Johnny later. And he reveals that he quite likes having Aiden around and that cat. <laughs> and Jenny tells him to focus on getting and better. And the cockroaches. Not chasing ghosts. But Johnny has his ghost chasing Tabard on and he wants to see Aiden's face to say goodbye to him. Reluctantly though, he admits that it has to stop. But back in the cells, Johnny looks at the pill that will eventually kill his visions of Aiden and flushes it down the toilet. Mm-hmm. And that's as far as we get with that one. Hmm. Try as they might... I simply do not care about Johnny in prison. If this storyline happened a year ago, I think I would care more. Oh, really? But Aiden's been dead for two years now. Nearly three. Yeah. It's, Nearly three? It's been yeah. a while. And since then, we've already had a member of this family with mental health problems and delusions where they saw somebody who was dead, but only from behind. Right. So if the whole Carla thing hadn't happened and this storyline happened a year ago, I would care. Going At this back point, to the same well a I just don't often. care. Right. Yeah. Going back to the same well and trying to build sympathy over something that happened three years ago that We've we already had, you know, Johnny blowing up and going crazy and sleeping with Liz and everything in his grief. You know, we've already had the Johnny grief storyline. So this just feels. I guess it, it's kind of interesting from the point of view of not wanting to stop the visions. I remember writing a story. Oh, 10 years ago, maybe. But an old guy that's taking melatonin so he can dream about his wife. Mm-hmm. His dead wife, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's a cheery story, because I wrote it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting, I guess. Yeah, but it's... I'm sure there's been at least one episode of Black Mirror, though, that, that does this. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> does this better. <laughs> right. Where you actually see the ghosts in in the person's head. I, I don't know, I... Could could everything that's happening on Coronation Street just be happening in Johnny's head at the moment? <laughs> it's like that kid with the snow globe. Seen elsewhere. Everything was in the snow globe. Oh, was it? Yeah. Yikes. We've talked about this before. No, that, <laughs> Blocked it out of your memory. I don't need to remember this. Yeah. I I don't know. I, it, I it think just... My problem with it is that the whole thing that, that kick-started this was the ridiculous situation of Johnny going along with that stupid Scott mm-hmm. to do the armed robbery of the bistro. Right. Which was, I think it was farcical at the time, but the right. further you get away from it and you think back to it, the more farcical it seems now. And the fact that the now. whole reason why Johnny is in prison is because he he nicked a guy with a car 40 years ago. <laughs> right. And apparently there's no statute of limitations. Not when it in- comes to nicking somebody with a car. Right. 
you know, because they've already established that Scott beat the crap out of this guy and that's why he died. Yeah. Our next story <laughs> today is Prick 1 and Prick 2. On Monday. Oh, so this is Billy and Todd then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> On Monday, Billy's in Roy's Rolls when he's joined by Todd. Billy has a tough quandary because he has lots of disabled parishioners complaining about the pews. This is a recent development, do you think? Or have they just waited for Billy to become the Archdeacon? Not the Archdeacon. Is it Archdeacon? Yeah. yeah, Archdeacon. And also for COVID, when most people are, are still going to church from their homes. Billy wants to drag the church into the 21st century now that we've uh, more than a fifth of the way through it. But he doesn't think that ripping out the pews and replacing them with beanbags is quite the thing. Yeah, because nothing says that's, that's, 21st century more than beanbags. Right, and nothing nothing would please elderly parishioners more than having to get all the way down on the floor in a beanbag. They're like cockroaches on their backs. <laughs> They're dying down there. <laughs> this is a, the, it would, the saving... I'm 44 years old, and it would be difficult for me to get out of a beanbag. I just look at a beanbag and I, my back says, nope. no fucking chance of you getting into that. Nope, we have a giant one in the in the basement. I think I realised also when I was in my late 30s that I was never going to own a Lamborghini or a Ferrari because simply I think I could maybe get into it, but there's <laughs> no way in the world I could get out of it. <laughs> the saving grace of the storyline is Bernie, who's serving at Roy's Rolls, and she makes it clear that she fucking hates the pair of them. Yay! <laughs> Later, Todd has left and come back with an idea. Sell the pews and make a fortune. Replace them with fold-up chairs, which would give them a flexible space. Fold-up chairs. You know, this is funny because my old church back in Connecticut, the Alliance Church, um, where I used to attend, they did this. They took the pews out and put, you know, nice folding chairs. They're nice. They've got cushioning and everything. They're not like the chair that I'm sitting in right now where I had to add pillows to it. Mm But this is a thing that, that churches have been doing. Um, Billy's initially sceptical, but then thinks that a mums, bums and tums group might be one in the fucking eye for Methodist Pam. <laughs> Methodist Pam. I am Methodist Pam. Still, he's unsure that the powers that be will go for it. Don't ask, don't get, says Todd. So he asks and he gets, which is great news, because in the meantime, Todd has lined up a buyer who will pay six Gs. Billy and his man bag are thrilled and go off, allowing Todd to phone his contact and demand... Seven and a half G's. Dum, dum, dum. And in reality, those pews would go for a lot more than that. All the pews in the church, all the wooden pews in the church. Well, what are you going to do with them? You can refurbish them. And, you know, it's quite trendy for people to put them in their homes. Like it's uh, benches for sitting to put your boots on and stuff. And they get... Uh, Reused as as benches in in uh, like restaurants and businesses and stuff. There's there's quite a market for it as more and more churches are closed down around the world. On Wednesday, Billy's and Roy's Rolls with Todd. If there's anything worse than sanctimonious Billy, it's gleeful Billy. Ugh. He's happy that the bishop has approved the sale of the pews and they plan to use the money to convert the manse into a halfway house. Todd is thrilled to help out. Pair of fucking pricks. <laughs> Paul comes in and it's so awkward and then he leaves pretending that he's forgotten his wallet. Bernie's still working there and once again lets Paul lets Billy and Todd know exactly what she thinks of them. Which is very little. And later, Todd's at work and gets chatting to Paul who's in no mood to do so. He realizes that there's still a connection between Todd and Billy, and even if there's nothing going on, he can't be around all of this, so he goes off to tell Sarah that he quits. So then Bernie finds a recently unemployed Paul in the community garden. He's thinking of moving on. 
She tells him that this is his home too. And along comes Ed, who conveniently finds out that Paul is looking for work and offers him a place on a contract that he's just been given. Sounds brilliant, until Paul finds out that it's the Archdeacon House conversion job. So thanks, but no thanks. He ends up spending more time with Billy than he did previously at home. This is why, this is why last week, remember we were like, why is Ed asking Paul if he's okay? Right. This is why. (laughs) To set this up. (laughs) To set this up so Ed will apologise and then put paul to work later paul runs into summer as she leaves roy's rolls apparently she wants to redeem a promise that paul made to take her out into the city for the day sounds great says paul but he's broke no worries says summer who then leaves because billy's taking her to speed doll she's just this minute left roy's rolls and is off to speed doll well i guess she's a kid <laughs> ed shows up and offers paul the job again this time with an advance and paul bites his hand off en- enough to uh, take summer to the chippy yep. and buy her some shoes he goes to Speed Dolls to tell Summer the good Summer news. That's what Summer wants to do. She wants to go shoe shopping with Paul. No, we find out exactly what she wants to do in the next scene. So he goes to Speed Dolls to tell Summer the good news, but arrives just in time to see Todd gift Summer and Billy a weekend away at Bletchley Park, of all places. Teenagers just love a bit of Enigma Code history. That's all kids are talking about these days. Billy wonders if he should be spending I would his money. find that cool. Yeah, so would I. But would, would Summer? I don't know. I think our kids would find it cool. They didn't enjoy the child slavery museum. They, <laughs> which is not a thing. Billy wonders. They do that, like looking at dead presidents. Though. Billy wonders if he should be spending his money on on AJ, but apparently that's all fizzled out. Mm. The trip is planned for tomorrow, and even though Billy is flat out busy at work with all the changes to religion to right, for the yeah. end of the tax year, it's on. Right. Yeah. But it's like I I can't just leave at the drop of the hat. Especially since we're convert, you know, we're selling the pews and converting things and all this other stuff. Yeah, go away for the weekend. Hmm. Does Billy have anything to do on, on the Sunday? weekend? Hmm. Paul makes his excuses and leaves. So the two pricks are how the two pricks are home, glowing in their prickliness. Todd says the gift was really for Billy, wasn't for Summer. Billy suggests that Todd stays, and it's all horrible and awkward. And Billy's pushed ahead of a long drive tomorrow, and so Todd leaves without getting his hold. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I quite like the idea of Paul working for Ed. I quite like that too. And I also quite like the idea Todd can't help himself from ripping off Billy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Selling for six, but you're really selling for seven and a half, so you're going to pocket 1500 $1, yourself. And and use that to to send Summer and Billy to Bletchley Park? Or something. Is he going to be throwing more gifts at them and to try to woo Billy back? Now, he got that for being the top salesman at the factory, remember? Well, that's what he says. It's not true, though. It's never there. Pricks always in the holiday. Or in, a, in, a, or in a, a dark guttle with a teenager pretending to be abused. Yeah. Let's, let's not go there. Hmm. I would just like to move on from that. Yeah, yeah. To Rock and Ronnie. Doop, doop, doop. <laughs> On Wednesday, Michael is looking up uh, alternate tweet, tweet, tweet. birth options on Not the internet doop, doop. and for some reason, Grace isn't interested. He quizzes Ed on the worth of him, James and Meris. Uh, uh, <laughs> he says it was magical and goes on to describe the stork delivering the babies in blankets. Oh. He, then real, he then reveals he didn't witness the miracle of birth. He stayed in the corridor rather than see the equivalent of the end of Reservoir Dogs and then asks if anyone wants a bacon sandwich. <laughs> the miracle of life. Uh, I remember Bill Hicks says that uh, he gets annoyed at people calling 
birth a miracle. Mm-hmm. He says it's no more a miracle than you put food in your mouth and shit comes out your ass. It's a chemical <laughs> reaction. It's not a miracle. It's kind of a miracle. Grace As somebody finds, who's carried three children. Grace finds all this funny. Michael less so. He promises not to leave her side during labour for one second and Grace seems to com- contemplate telling him that the baby in her belly is actually our friend Lisa's again. <laughs> Later, Aggie gives her account of the births and says that she didn't want Ed anywhere near that birthing room. Michael again insists that he will be there. This proves too much for Grace, who storms out after saying that she doesn't know what she wants. She doesn't know if she wants Michael there, but she's pretty fucking sure she doesn't want a hypno-birth, whatever that is. Or an aqua-birth. Grace gets back and Aggie gives her a hard time for pissing on Michael's chips. But right, which out- is so fucking ridiculous because Aggie had just gotten done saying that she didn't want Ed on the at the birth. So, what the hell, Aggie? <laughs> what the hell, man? <laughs> But it turns out that Grace isn't pissed off at Michael for being a plank. She's had a go because she didn't deserve everything that he does for her. Aggie cools her jets and agrees that Michael will be a wonderful father. Then Ed bursts in announcing that fun Uncle Ronnie will be arriving tomorrow. (laughs) Aggie doesn't seem pleased. That seemed a very Homer Simpson change in (laughs) speed, didn't it? Suddenly Ed just bursts in and announces, you thought the episode was going to be about this, but now I've got a job as a mascot for a... Double glazing company Right yes Very Simpsons Very Simpsons (laughs) Aggie doesn't seem pleased And you don't know If she's just pleased Because Ed has Just stormed in And changed the subject Or that she's not really Keen on this Ronnie character Or you know That he's You know He didn't talk to her About Ronnie Coming to visit first Mm. It's like if I moved My dad into our basement Without talking to you first Yeah Which is not going to happen Oh, okay. you'd chosen this moment to <laughs> drop something of a bombshell in my life. On Friday, Aggie's morning shit is touching cloth, and Michael's hogging the bathroom. And this gives Aggie Ned time to discuss giving Paul She's a trial. She's got a pee, not poop. In another storyline, she's doing the pee pee dance. And her suspicions about Ronnie visiting in the storyline. Then it you don't turns cross out your legs when you have to poop. That it was Grace who was hogging the bathroom. Yes, because she's pregnant. See. Pregnant ladies have to pee a lot, see? Because mm-hmm. babies like to sit on your bladder, see? I didn't know any of that. <laughs> At the builder's yard, James has some exciting news for Ed. Croftly Town, whoever the fuck they are, may be interested in buying him at the end of the season. Ed thinks this is great news to share with Ronnie, but asks James to keep in mind that Ronnie's likely to think he's a bit of a shagger. James interprets this as keeping quiet about being gay, but Ed insists not. Paul, though, who has been lifting some PVC pipes, overhears this and looks on with interest. Mm. So later... I- <laughs> Is that really how is that really how how they talk about being traded to different teams as being sold to different teams? Yeah. Alawa have bought a new striker. Alawa who are drawing at the moment. One one with Dunfermline Athletic at East End Park. I don't know, it just seems really uncomfortable to watch a, a black man on television talk about being sold. And bought. And bought, yeah. At least here we say traded. Yeah. <laughs> is that better? Maybe is a it? little. Because what what did you really call the movement of people from Africa to in the Caribbean? Yeah, yeah. Was that a, was that a trade? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> Later, Paul and Ed have a quiet chat about Ed's potentially confusing thoughts on homosexuality. Ed just doesn't want his boy to have a difficult life. He wants to change the world, but he doesn't know how. Ed mm. looks like somebody who wants to change the world, but he doesn't does. know how. He does. One mind at a time, says Paul. Yes. Then Ronnie See, arrives. I really like Paul here. Mm-hmm. I really like Paul 
being inserted into this family. I like the way that he brought this up. Yeah. And didn't do it in a judgy, no. um, angry way, just having a... It's a very gentle a conversation. pleasant conversation. Yeah. And He's also swept the yard, so... Ed, yeah, it's never been pa- so clean. Paul's uh, Ed's favourite son now. Mm-hmm. So Ronnie arrives in a flashy Merc, and he's a flashy kind of guy. He gets acquainted with Grace in the front door stoop, but not like that, and insists that they all decamp to the rovers to get fucking smashed. Ed chuckles in that way that he does where nothing on his face moves, <laughs> but he chuckles. Fucking Ronnie, what did I tell you? Says mm-hmm. Ed. He kind of looks like the guy from the repair shop with that hat on. He does, doesn't he? I felt bad for thinking that because their their builds are completely different. Very different sizes, yeah. Yes, and their accents are slightly different. But, but the still, face, mm-hmm. with with that cap on, right. it's like it's the guy from the repair shop. In the Rovers, Little Lies by Fleetwood Mac is playing from their 14th studio album, 1987's multi-platinum album, Tango in the Night. <laughs> Ronnie is nonplussed to learn that James prefers a night out on Canal Street rather than heading into town with the boys. Yeah. But, well, kind of differently. He insists that he's in Weatherfield to see the family, nothing like a global pandemic to bring everyone together. <laughs> and later, Ed's disappeared somewhere. He's taken a phone call from work or something. Mm-hmm. Michael is obsessed over his phone and Grace. And there's some chilly banter between Aggie and Ronnie, especially mm-hmm. when Ronnie says that he's here to reconnect. Mm-hmm. And Aggie, if she hadn't already taken a shit of the day, looks like she'd be ready to do one she right took now. A and after a bit, Ronnie's ready to start ordering the rum and playing dominoes when Aggie, still uneasy about Ronnie's presence, makes her excuses and leaves mm-hmm. telling Ed to take all the time that he wants. And at home, Grace asks Aggie what the story is with her and Ronnie because she senses that there's some bristling there. Mm-hmm. Aggie insists that she's just worried about Ronnie leading Ed astray uh, when he's been on the straight and narrow for so long. Mm-hmm. And then a pissed Ed comes home announcing that Michael has taken Ronnie to see streetcars, which is weird. Yeah, why? <laughs> and then... <laughs> You're going to show off streetcars? And this is our cab office. He doesn't work at streetcars. No. What is... Is Ronnie hoping to get a job at streetcars? Or buy streetcars? Is it still for sale? Oh, no. I thought that Steve and Tracy they bought had something back. I can't bought remember it back. What. Interesting. Hmm. And Ronnie is thinking of moving to the area. And Grace is now super suspicious when Aggie's face explodes. Because mm-hmm. what I didn't write is that during the little pub scene, uh-huh. Ronnie's checking out our Michael a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not like that. No. But as they're playing darts, he keeps on looking at him and, mm-hmm. and engaging in conversation with him when he's not really engaging that much with Aggie, who asks how, how work's going and he uh-huh. just says good. And doesn't elaborate. Mersey Tartan, I think that the whole world Ronnie thinks that the whole world thinks is that. Michael's daddy. Yeah, yeah. I think it's clear that Ronnie and Aggie have uh, got the whole right. Yes. Hmm. That, at the very least, seems to be the case. And w- but once again, it's this creating hmm. this this drama, this dramatic situation, which is kind of kind of predictable mm-hmm. and not very innovative if that's what it is who else on the street their uncle is their dad that they know of yeah well uh ashley peacock's uncle fred was his dad right but are they on the show anymore no okay 
So this is slightly new. It's not overdone. It's not like heart attacks. So it could be interesting. <laughs> We've I, been saying for a while that we want like a, a Bailey storyline that this is better than solving racism in one episode or one week. Let's be honest. True, but the first thing that we try and do is create this situation that potentially is going to split them up. I don't think it's going to split them up. Do you think Ed knows? I don't know. I but don't think I don't, Ed knows because I, I think if Ed knew, then Ronnie would not be welcome. Right, yeah. I th- and Michael and, would not I be mean, living there. Let's be honest. Ed. Ed doesn't pick up on cues very well. Look how long it took him to figure out that his son was gay. I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like Aggie and Ed have been together for a very, very long time. And something that happened in their youth. I don't, I, I don't think it would necessarily split them up. I think it will cause drama. But I think in the end, Ed will forgive her. How how old is Michael? He's in his twenties, right? So this, if it is a secret, has been a secret that's been kept for a couple of decades. Yeah. Within twenty four hours, it is so obvious by Aggie's reaction to seeing mm-hmm. Ronnie that something's happened. Mm-hmm. This isn't the first time in twenty years that the two of them have met. Mm-hmm. So if they'd met at any other point in the intervening years, mm-hmm. that secret isn't for being kept for very long. When Grace within minutes realizes that something's up mm-hmm. and doesn't believe the oh he's leading Ed astray right so if that's what it is surely this would have been unearthed years ago before they would have right. been on the show well again <laughs> again Ed is not picking up cues very easily from anybody Ed is not great for, for, for 20 years our next storyline today is Royal Rumble on Friday, Eileen passes on her condolences to Gail via Shona. Shona tells her that she can deliver them herself because Gail is at home with the Undertaker at the minute. But Eileen passes on this, and Mary, who appears for reasons I don't fully understand, explains that the Undertaker is a silver-tongued cavalier and they should just move on. Later, the Undertaker is at Roy's Rolls on the phone to one of his employees. It's a driver that he's having to let go for being pissed on the job. Shona overhears this and is worried about how this will affect no, Ted's... No, 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 he wasn't pissed on the job. He was caught for drunk driving, but not on the job. Oh, but I thought he because... fell asleep at a traffic light with the hearse. No, no, because the undertaker says very specifically, thank God it wasn't with the hearse. Oh, I heard that differently. So, you know, so he can't drive anymore. So he can't be a driver. Right. So Shona overhears this anyway, but the undertaker insists it'll be okay before removing the cushion on the turnbuckle and slamming Shona's head into it. The Undertaker is in speed dial when in comes Mary who explains about her day from hell nearly running over Leanne in another storyline The Undertaker jokingly asks if Mary wants a job driving a hearse but she was permanently scarred of the recently deceased thanks to Carrie, her palette guides and her ghost stories Apparently she wet herself quite a bit afterwards Right, yes, and The Undertaker mistakenly thinks that she's referring to the movie Carrie Right, in comes Eileen who's In which there are no dead bodies really till the end yeah, then there's a lot of dead bodies. Though. Right, yeah. They make up for it. <laughs> in comes Eileen, who's quickly brought up to speed and may have the answer to the Undertaker's driver requirement. 
later The Undertaker appreciates it Knowing that he's not her biggest fan She's more of a Scotty to Haughty man apparently Eileen's plan is for streetcars to take care of the hearse But when Gail phones She'd rather drive the hearse herself Good luck with that says Eileen As she doesn't think that Gail's feet could reach the pedals And that was kind of funny And that's as far as we go with that Setting ourselves up for a comedic funeral, do you think? Yeah, and a, a love square. Yeah. A love trapezoid. It's a pyramid. But it's not, because there are four of them. But you've got a base of three, and then you've got... Oh, yeah, all right. A pyramid yep, is a yep. three-dimensional shape. This is true. Yeah, so Eileen mm-hmm. and Gail and Mary are at the bottom, mm-hmm. and the Undertaker's at the top. Right. Ready to rock bottom them all. <laughs> but not like that. Well. <laughs> whatever. Whatever floods your boat whatever there, Undertaker. I Is George really worth fighting over? <laughs> What's no the alternative? Offense, no offense to George, but I mean, don't get me wrong, single men on the street of a certain age are thin on the ground. Thin on the ground. But still. I can see we're going to have coffins falling out of horses and horses shitting on hats and all that kind of thing. Remember, remember the last funny funeral? That was uh, Nigel, Nigel Havers, Havers, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Nigel Havers. He was one of our first, let's call this character by something that isn't his name, <laughs> things. Hi, Miss Claudia. <laughs> on Monday. Oh, she's so fabulous. She on is. Monday, in our Lucky White Feather story, Leanne is watching her Crystal Weber shite in her housecoat, getting ready to call in again, it seems, when Simon comes in and she hides her phone and changes the channel. She goes to make him breakfast, telling him that she's going to see Toya later. And when she goes, when he goes to get changed, she takes a white feather out of her pocket and she strokes it, but looks like at least part of, what, part of her knows that what she's doing is stupid. Mm-hmm. Later, she's fallen asleep on the couch, clutching onto the feather. The medium's on the TV. When Simon comes in and sees what's going on, when she finally wakes up, she sheepishly ignores the TV and goes to make tea. Simon says it's great that they're double dipping tea bags when she's calling premium rate numbers to speak to a fraud. If you don't like it, you can fuck off, snaps Leanne. And after some time they apologise, Leanne insists that Crystal knows stuff that she couldn't possibly know, like about the music box and dinosaur pyjamas. Simon thinks these are just good guesses. She knows Oliver isn't coming back, but she isn't ready to let go completely just yet. On Wednesday, Simon's up before Leanne again, tells her that they're out of milk. He mentions that he's finding it hard to keep on top of things, what with work and school and studying and drugs mewling and all that stuff. Leanne isn't that interested, but gives him 20 quid for the shops and promises to stay off the helplines. Rather than accept this, Simon says that he doesn't mind so long as she doesn't go crazy on them. Sounds like we have an elephant in the upper rooms. That sounded very Downton Abbey. Do you mean upstairs? <laughs> I didn't hear Later, Leanne is doing some tidying when her phone rings and it seems like it's the local swimming pool asking if Oliver is still interested in those (laughs) lessons that she booked six months ago. (laughs) Flustered, Leanne says that no, he won't be needing them. Yeah. So Simon gets home from the shops to find Leanne upset because of the swimming. This whole thing is getting harder, not easier, she says. Simon looks like he wishes he'd stayed at the shops, then suggests that she speaks to someone about it. Leanne snaps that she doesn't want to and goes off for a lie down while Simon goes back to work. But Simon's got his days mixed up and he's not working today after all. Jacob has another job for him to do, but Simon is oddly uninterested. And when Jacob mentions his debt, Simon can barely muster a, I'll think about it, and then wanders off, leaving Jacob looking like a prick. Mm -hmm. 
Simon gets home and Leanne's in a better mood because she's found another feather. What? She's, she's got the popcorn on and settles down for a movie. She really needs to replace that pillow. Yes. Simon may as well join her. Seeing this. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if, if they actually had a parakeet? <laughs> I found another feather. Beautifully coloured coloured feather. A it's cockatiel. a message. No, it's from... That it, it was, yeah, but a cockatiel at least would have white feathers. Simon may as well join us seeing as he's unexpectedly home. After the movie, Leanne is dead proud of Simon being all reliable in that, and Oliver would be too. Simon does a two-second smile fade, while Leanne wanders off to look for more feathers. He calls Jacob to quit his mule job. Jacob is not impressed and calls his big boss, who is also unimpressed. Then Nick arrives and asks for a loan of one of Simon's games and asks Simon to hang out with Sam. Leanne ex- Nick is bored already. <laughs> Leanne explains about her feather thing. Nick is confused, and as Leanne explains, Nick becomes concerned and looks like he's about to cry again. <laughs> and then there's the slagging off of Tokyo Drift as the worst Fast and the Furious movie yeah, think, of all time. I think it's, it's dead equal, isn't it? <laughs> Apparently some are better than others, would you believe? I don't know. I've never sat through a whole one. Do you know? Although, what, what was the, the although we watched that right, that one that's, that's like a spinoff. The Statham and the, and the Hobbs, Rock. Hobbs and Hobbs and Calvin and Hobbs. <laughs> Hobbs and Nash or something. Hobbs and the other one. And uh, amazingly, I've seen that movie twice now because <laughs> I saw it in the theater with Why? one of the children because one of the children really wanted to see it. I can't remember which one of the children it was, though, if it was Benny or if it was Steli. Because back, back in the olden days, we used to go on, you know... I remember we used to do on, that. On dates to the, to the movies where we would, you know, take one kid to the movies because the other kid had some other activity to do outside the house. Back mm-hmm. when we used to have activities outside the house. Yeah. Ah! And then that child, I think it was Benny. We, if 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 we check and see which child it was that picked it for lockdown movie night, I don't think I care that much. <laughs> we we know which one it was. You've seen the movie, and I, I know which movie you're talking about, and I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> it was nonsense, but it was good. It, yeah, it was goofy, but it was good. And Jason Statham is Jason Stathamy all the way throughout. He's, he's better than anyone has any. Which, reasonable which reminds me that I'm still disappointed we didn't rewatch the Meg during lockdown. Oh, you need movies <laughs> that we didn't watch. You had plenty of opportunity. So anyway, Nick doesn't understand the connection. Is Oliver a ghost? <laughs> and Leanne doesn't react well to the line of questioning and goes back to bed. Nick tells Simon that he needs to snap her out of this. It's not healthy and it's false hope. Right, but yeah, and it's Simon's job to do that. <laughs> but Simon doesn't care as it's the only thing that's getting her out of bed at the moment and getting the dishes done. Either support her or fuck off out of your own flat, he says. On Friday, Leanne is up and making pancakes. She's found another lucky feather and is, uh, and it's given her the gumption and the desire to move her Did that arse. happen on Wednesday that she makes the pancakes? Because Tuesday was pancake day. Mm-hmm. But no, Tuesday she, was Shrove Tuesday. She did it on Friday. Fat Tuesday, as we prefer to call it here in America, because we like fat things. Mardi Gras. That's fat. what Mardi Gras means. Fat Tuesday. Mardi is Tuesday. And Gras Fat. Fat Tuesday. Hmm. Mardi Gras. She's found another lucky feather and it's given her the gumption and the desire to move her arse and do stuff like speak to Steve about going on that fundraiser thing. Simon is very pleased. Then we see a very ill-looking Peter out of rehab and Steve has been told to keep an eye on him, which is... Why did they let that man out of rehab if he looks like that still? He looks awful, doesn't he? He looks... 
They've done a fantastic looks, job makeup wise. He looks like he's going through withdrawal still mm-hmm. and still has the shakes. He should still be hospitalized right. for this. What is going on? He shouldn't still be having the shakes. Steve is exactly Hilarious. keeping an eye on him. <laughs> and it's like obvious. Quite literally. Right. And Peter isn't enjoying the attention one little bit. <laughs> it's very funny though. Simon goes off to work and runs into Jacob, who's still pretending to be his mate and everything. He tries to pass some work to Simon, but Simon is interested and promises to pay Jacob back. Jacob introduces the concept of interest on the debt, and if Simon ever wants to earn some quick cash, just give me a shout. Jacob is coming across as a bit of a wally here. Mm-hmm, yes. A wally. A wally. Meanwhile, Leanne watches on as Nick and Sam are walking down the street. Uh, Sam talking too much about health and safety legislation about the uh, minimum temperatures in the workplace. Leanne looks to her feather for comfort but it blows away onto the street and as she chases after it she's almost knocked down by Mary in the florist van Right, because Mary has a very busy day today in another storyline Right, Nick doesn't think Oliver would want to see Leanne knocked over and killed Somebody Fair point Somebody took a rather unfortunate screenshot of Mary in that in that van at that moment You know how sometimes in movies and stuff especially like animated movies you, you pause it, you take a screenshot, mm-hmm. and the character looks very unfortunate. That happens every time I do the moment of the week snap <laughs> show. You, you have to, because you don't, people, you don't realise that people blink mm-hmm. almost one eye at a time. But it happens so quickly that you don't notice it. But when you pause it, they're <laughs> kind of looking really, really goofy. Anyway, so uh, he thinks, Nick thinks it's important that Leanne stops seeing this feather shape. Uh, as a sign from beyond the grave and he also wants to get Dr Gadas involved but Leanne insists that she's fine and she goes home but on her way she's nabbed by Brian but not like that he was returning some non-recyclable waste that Simon had tried to dump in the cabin rubbish which is ridiculous this is this is the most ridiculous thing ever here is your black bag excuse me here's your garbage that your son put in our recycling bin because we all of a sudden Brian and, and Kathy are the recycling you know Captain Planet Savers of America or DK America Kathy's, of the world. Kathy is Greta. <laughs> and she was in a Twitter feud with uh, President Trump. Who? I can't remember. <laughs> so Leanne is confused, rightly so, why Simon wouldn't just use their bin and also confused as to why Brian thinks it's, this is her problem. Right, yeah. Why are you giving. What? Just chuck it in the other bin. Right. But then she looks inside the black bag and is not happy at all of what she sees. Yeah, and for some reason, and I was really confused because I was like, why is Simon throwing away his drugs? Mm -hmm. Or is this the spray paint from that other story that happened? Remember when he was the one who spray painted on Adam's door? Or is this the (laughs) mobile phone from the Will storyline? Yeah, which still hasn't been found. Or is this Gwyneth Paltrow's head? (laughs) What's in the box? What's in the box? John Doe has the upper hand. <laughs> Later, Simon goes in to check on Peter, and if the latter can dodge his warden, the two arrange to meet up at speed dial before Simon heads off to work. That was perhaps the most manufactured John Doe has the upper hand bit that we've done so far, I think. <sighs> Nick sees Simon outside the chippy and tells him once again to do something about this feather obsession. It's nearly got Leanne killed. Nick explains what happened and how Leanne doesn't want him involved and so it's Simon's problem and Simon promises uh, that he has to speak to her about it. Why? Why are we reforcing this this child, essentially, mm-hmm. to be holding up both of his parents? 
So he goes home to do that, but Leanne has something that she wants to shout about first. <laughs> the rubbish that Simon threw out was a burst pillow and a ton of feathers. All messages from Oliver. Look at all these messages from Oliver. Why would he do something so cruel? And initially he denies that he had anything to do with this, but then he says that he didn't mean to be ripping the piss out of her. He was trying to help. She wasn't leaving the house until she found the feathers, and he had to do something to stop her phoning the psychics. She's heard enough, and she throws them out. And at this, I'm so confused as to what's been going on here. Right. It it seems like, yes, there was a burst pillow. Mm-hmm. And Simon threw it out so that she wouldn't discover that it was the burst pillow that, and it wasn't messages from Oliver. And yet he kept some of the feathers to hide around the house right. for her to find more of them. That seemed to be what they were suggesting. Because I, I just was so confused. Peter is wrapped up in the couch talking to Steve about Friday nights and days gone by. He hasn't energy for anything like that these days. And Steve tries to pep him up, but Peter isn't interested. And this quickly escalates into an argument where Steve tells Peter that he's a fucking moan and everyone is trying their best here apart from him. Yeah. And it's basically Kev reminiscing about the good old days. Again. Yeah. This is really a show for old men. (laughs) Back at the flat, the feather thing is somewhat explained when it looks like the original feather is different from the others. So Leanne quizzes Simon on that, at which point he uh, admits that he didn't plant that one, he just planted the others. Right. Good, because that means that the the original one was still from all of us, she says. Oh God, Leanne, stop! (laughs) At which point we all throw our TVs across the room. Simon's heard enough. This is fucking madness. It has to stop. Oliver isn't communicating with her. He isn't sending her messages. He dead. So Leanne hooks him. <laughs> a left hook to yeah. the jaw. To her son. The only one that's still living. Who and has been paying really her bills. Taking care and of taking her. care of her and cleaning her house. And really being the adult here. And not really getting very much in the way of thanks or recognition no. for it. Just the no. occasional, oh, you're a rock kind of thing. But right. Mostly she's snapping at him. Mostly. And mostly she and the other adults around him are expecting him to take on more and more and more responsibility for his mother's well-being, mm-hmm. including her mental health. It's a wonder Simon didn't get into drugs before now. Right. So he leaves and he runs into Brian who wants to reinforce his recycling message when Why? Simon basically tells him to go suck a bag of dicks. <laughs> Brian says maybe he'll think twice before depositing the unrecyclable waste in the cabin's bin. Ah. Simon is at speed dial, freshly lamped by Leanne when, when Peter calls him to postpone the meeting for another day. Simon pretends that this is fine while at number one, Steve has something and, that and he thinks l- may occupy and Simon Peter's brain. Because... Peter hears like dishes clanging in the background. He's right. like, oh, are you there already? And Simon's like, no, 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 it's fine. When it's not fine, and this poor kid should be admitting to his dad, no, it's not fine. Get your fucking arse over here. Right. We, I, I we need shit to talk about. I need parenting. <clears throat> yes, yes, please. I need somebody to parent me. Then Carla comes home to find Peter gleefully doing a baked beans jigsaw with Brussels sprouts on the reverse. It took them an hour to find a corner and he has a special dish for the pieces with flat edges. <laughs> what the actual fuck says Carla? And she goes off to the chippy. He really sees, is an old man. Where she sees Simon who has no interest in games night. Instead he has an interest in those jobs that Jacob offered earlier. In fact he's interested in all those jobs. He's in. And that's how we end this week's episode. So essentially Simon is young Gary. Where Simon tries to do the right thing. All the people in his life kind of shit on him. They don't let him do the right thing. They don't let him do the right thing. So he's like, fuck it. 
all these people don't care about me, so I'm not going to do the right thing. I'm going to do well, the wrong thing. I may as well earn some coin here. Right, because it's kind of adding insult to injury that his dad cancels on him. Yeah. And then has games night. Which, in fairness to Peter, when he was oh, talking to even, Simon... Yeah, that didn't even cross my mind. When he was talking to Simon, he didn't know it was going to become games night and that he was going to get involved in this puzzle because Steve hadn't given him the puzzle yet. Mm-hmm. So this is, this, is, this is Simon thinking that his dad is cancelled on him so that he can put puzzles together with Steve and eat chips. So this is Simon thinking that his dad has chosen Steve and a jigsaw puzzle over him. Which, to be fair, would give him pause, probably. (laughs) I think this very much was adding insult to injury. I think Simon was already probably going to be calling Jacob, but this was just the final nail. But that, yeah, you're right, that didn't even cross my mind. Yeah, so first his mom punches him in the face. Right. And then his dad, Nick, is no longer being a father figure to him instead wants him to be a partial father figure to sam (laughs) right hey i need help with this kid can you come and be a big brother to him too right so nick wants simon to be sam's big brother nick wants simon to be leanne's dad shrink or right Convince your mother, you know, I, an adult, could not convince your mother to go and get psychiatric help. You, as a child, now must get her to do it where I have failed. Leanne has punched him, Mm -hmm. but Leanne also needs him to be his, uh, her uh, cook and cleaner. And bill payer. Right. And shopper. Right. So Simon is very much Leanne's father. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Jacob, At an age where he really shouldn't be putting on these responsibilities. And then Peter would rather do a jigsaw than eat curry with Simon. Right. <laughs> it's a wonder this kid isn't already on drugs. I am so fucking team Simon right now. Seriously. And did you ever think that we'd ever come to a point in our lives where we would be team Simon? I hope he makes a real go of this drug dealing. <laughs> I, I kind of do. And I hope when it all comes out that Peter and Nick and Leanne are going to be very ashamed of themselves. And Carla. Well, not really Carla, because Carla at least invites him to come to games night. because She has no idea, apparently, that Peter was supposed to go and get curry with him. But the two of them have already had their their fallout. And Violet's kind of cooled a little bit. Right. He's still looking at Carla as being the one who did the dirty on his dad. Right. With his uncle. Uncle. No, no. With his stepbrother? With his cousin? cousin? With his cousin. Yeah. So yeah, for those brief little moments where everything was working out definitely mm-hmm. well for Simon, he was investing himself into taking care of Leanne and didn't seem to mind that it. it was having a toll on him mm-hmm. because Leanne wasn't really holding up her part of the bargain here. Right. She was letting things slip and she wasn't paying bills and yeah. stuff and she wasn't taking responsibility for that kind of thing. But everything kind of gradually is mounting up and mounting up and mounting up on Simon. Yeah. To the point where can't do right for doing wrong. Right. Might yeah. as well do wrong. Yeah. So he's essentially Gary now. Right. Is he a better Gary? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a. I think it's a better constructed story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you would excuse this behavior in a 
19 year old as opposed to right. somebody Gary's age. In his 30s or whatever. Yeah. However old. I'm really bad at, at predicting oh, yeah, ages of I these know. people. I know. When you find out that Tyrone's not 40 yet, and you're like, God. <laughs> what? I just feel, I feel ancient. <laughs> but he's turning 40 this year. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. Like Who knows? that helps. Who knows? And that was the week that was Coronation Street. Yes. What did you think of it this week? Eh. I, some interesting things happen. Some interesting things are being set up. Yeah, you seem to be more invested in the Bailey storyline than... It's interesting you more than it's interesting me, I think. You seem to be seeing something there that I'm not seeing yet. Or, you know, liking what I see more than... I, I just... The more Baileys we get on the screen, the better I feel. Mm-hmm. You know, because... It feels like even if they're kind of recycling something that has happened before on the street many, many years ago, it's with a family that's still fresh to us. We really don't know very much about the Baileys. More than a year later. Yeah. So any any Bailey action we get, I'm I'm all for. And I really like I really like the fact that Paul is now working for Ed, so that feels like that's binding these two families together in a way that I'm hoping will mean that we will see more of the Baileys because this was one of our problems with the whole Bailey thing is that we didn't really get to see them interacting with yeah. other with other people. They were a soap opera within a soap opera. Right. Yeah. So I'm hoping that this will, you know, open them up in a way that Michael working at the factory really hasn't done yeah. for us. Well, because you never really see them doing anything there. Right. And because of COVID and everything, you can't right, really which, get a lot of people in the factory at the same time. It does make me wonder, though, if the writers have and the producers have been looking at this thinking that the Baileys haven't been working, so we need to inject something else into them, and that's why Ronnie's suddenly appearing. And if that's the case, then that's kind of, well, whose fault's that? Right. But, you know, maybe this maybe this is the way to kickstart it into into other more interesting things. Ronnie does seem to be a bit of a live wire. Yeah. I loved it when he called uh, Emma Superstar. Oh, yeah. I don't know, just that <laughs> his immediate comfort in the environment that he now finds himself right, in. Right, yeah. It's like he's been one of the gang all this time. Right, Emma already loves him. Right. Because he's been charming and he's called her Superstar. That right. Superstar thing, really, it just... Yeah. Cause it's I, I don't just, know why, but it's... Because, you know... There are times where a man of his age calling a woman of her age, something like that, and, and maybe being a little too friendly would be uncomfortable creepy. Mm-hmm. and creepy. But the way he says it, it's more like an uncle thing, which is less creepy. He seems to be saying it to make her feel good. Right. Yeah. And, it, and that's what happens. And it works. Yeah. Because she's sweet. all, yeah, yeah. she's all walking about a little bit taller and, right. and stuff and. And that's nice, because we, yeah. we don't get an awful lot of Emma. So days. dropping that live wire into a family where I think maybe Michael was meant to be the live wire. <laughs> the scheming, you know, because right, he's, yeah. he's not doing that anymore. When he's, no, because he's, he's settled down his, and he's working at the factory now. He's kind of a Dell boy sort of character. That, Although we did have that whole makeup thing with Sean, that kind of, the whole pyramid scream that seems to have yes, died, in the vein of it, hasn't died it? down considerably. You know, yeah. and we don't have Tiny anymore, right. sadly. So we don't have the unicorn jobs anymore. And 
Gemma's not pregnant anymore, so he can't help Bertie sell her pee. James and Paul at some point in the future. It's more interesting than Paul and Billy, let's face I, it. I've, I've given that some thought. I have given that some thought. You look like someone who's given that some thought. You look like someone who's currently given it some thought as well. I don't know how I feel about it. It would make more sense age-wise. Yeah. I don't know, though. James is a bit older than he looks, I think. Yeah. But and in still, real life, he's older than Michael. Is he? Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's like, um, I just realized that um, Brent Spiner, who plays Commander Data in Star Trek The Next Generation, <laughs> is older than my dad. And that gave me real pause because when I was a little kid, I had such a huge crush on Commander Data. I don't know what it says about me that I had a thing for androids. But anyway, actors are weird. Um, yeah, I... I still think Todd is going to step in it and Billy's going to realize the error of his ways and Billy and Paul are going to get back together. I think it's going to be too late. Too little, too late. Paul has been hurt too much. He can't let himself get hurt again. That's true. That's true. And him and James, I think they'd be adorable together. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't oppose it. It would give uh, And it would give James, James something, something to, do, to do. So to speak. Because... You know, we again, an awful lot of this is because of COVID. We haven't seen an awful lot of James, and there's not much James can do as a football player. Uh, you can't have something that everything's going to happen off screen. Right. Because we're never going to watch him play a game of football. No. And you're barely going to see him interacting with his teammates because you can't have that many paid extras. Right, in a locker room. Who are doing nothing. Right, Right. in a locker room together. So he has to have something on the street. To do. And and it was Bethany for a brief moment. Right. And then it's been nothing nothing much. So I think that's probably in the cards. And this whole possible trade to a different team. Croftly Town. Well, that would suggest that he's moving on. and Leaving the show? I haven't seen that, nor will we ever see Didi. Your moment of the week. Just got to float the idea of Bernie hating on <laughs> Billy and Todd because it it spanned two days. It was quite because she was completely in the right both times, you know. And it's really nice to see her sticking up for her son. Pull the other one. Well, not you. She said something along those lines. <laughs> it's supposed to be the fridge. I think that's what was supposed to be the moment of the week. I would I would I would say it's not the fridge it's Abby proposing to Kev in the hospital because I really liked that the way she's kind of awkward about it and she doesn't have her ring and she doesn't know how you know how to propose to a man and she tries to get down on one knee and he can't see her he's like what are you doing on the floor we can't see you yeah that was funny you know, and that was really sweet and everything. And I like happiness for Abby, even though I still am a bit weirded out by her and Kev's relationship. And I can't really put my finger on why. If it's the age difference, mm-hmm. if it's the fact that he's still really stuck in his ways and says, and it sometimes slips and says really awful things about women. He hasn't changed much since the classic Corey days. No. <laughs> He's kind of an awful person. <laughs> a little bit. 
but Abby seems to like him. You know, and just the way it seemed to give joy to other people on the street, because we see Seb being joyful about it. And that's really nice. It's really nice to see Seb and Abby's relationship has kind of healed itself and they're they're back to being on good terms. And then we see her with Sally and then we get all of the um, Mr. Freeze puns with Tyrone and everything. It just, it brought me joy. Oh, I'm sorry, Bernie, but <laughs> I guess I'll be proposing to Kev as our moment of the week. Our moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Michael talking about hypnobirth. A lot of the Undertaker stuff is really boring. Yeah, because we get that funny line where Eileen says that Gail's feet couldn't hit the pedals. That was funny. Brian got on about his recycling. Uh, yeah, the second time. When, when Brian confronts Simon about it afterwards. Yeah, yep. that's our boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Shall we wrap this one up then? <laughs> yes, please. If you've ever seen the end of Reservoir Dogs and wondered who shot Nice Guy Eddie, <laughs> nobody did. Although the script says it was Mr. White, but it looks like it was Mr. Orange, but it wasn't. It was supposed to be Mr. White, but his uh, blood little, what do you call it, squibs? Uh-huh. Went off too early. So, and as it turned out in the story, nobody shot him. Ah. Feel free to disagree with us. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com, which is also our address on Skype for voicemail and on PayPal. If you want to chuck a couple of bucks into our virtual tip jar, we are at Quarry Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please check out our merch store and YouTube channel links, of which you can find on our Twitter bio or on the other stuff page of the talk of the street.podbean.com. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank and you. we will be back next week with more Talk of the talk Street. Of the street.